Uh, good morning, Reverend Glenn. Hey, that's that's very nice of you. Thanks, thanks for that. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why he's asking you to clap for me, but hey, I'm just just part of the River Glen, Glen River Glen family. Whether you're you're Waukesha, Pewaukee, online, wherever you call yourself, River Glen, I, I just love you guys so much. Um, those scriptures about hey, anytime I I think of you, I, I remember and praise God for you in my prayers. That's that's this church that comes to mind. Most often, when, whenever those lines come across my, my morning readings. Uh, in case you're wondering how your church plant is doing, it's, it's been almost a decade and we're still alive and well. Uh, for the most part, uh, honestly, the pandemic did feel like a punch in the gut, like it did to most churches, and double this over. We're, we're back to growing again this year. It's just neat to see guests come in and, and just wanting to connect with a little bit of hope and a God that loves them. We're Back to feeling some vitality and making disciples. People genuinely want to grow. Uh, we, we're changing up some formats. Every third or fourth week, we kind of get rid of the rows in our worship space. And we set people right at tables. Give them space to get to know each other. Give them space to practice the discipleship that we're talking about in the message. We're pushing ahead as, as a community center. That's how we double our facility in the middle of the week. And just every single weekend, there's one, two, sometimes three events that local community members are bringing in, they may or may not have ever been through the doors of a church. And that doubles with all the times that we go out into their everyday life and everyday relationships. And just hope that God keeps growing what he's doing in our little corner in Muskego. And uh, probably the coolest thing that I've seen in the last few years is we're, we're growing up in our contribution to church planting. Like, we got to plant a church because River Glen backed us. And, and most recently, as Ben was talking about, we, we got to play the sending church role, which was brand new for us, in launching Mike Francisco and 1128 community uh, this past fall in Oak Creek. River Glen pushed and backed and was like, that, that's kind of cool. We're taking the lead, and now River Glen's pushing. And here's where it gets even cooler. Uh, Mike right there uh, is on the right, and he's hanging out with Ed Cook, who is our church planter in residence to plant yet another church in 2023 for the greater Milwaukee area. So just back up and figure out what's happening here. You have a daughter church of River Glen working with a granddaughter church of River Glen to plant a great-granddaughter church of, of River Glen. It's like... Uh, <laughs> this family tree is just continuing, people, all right? And it's, it's, it's all on you guys to blame because you could have started Lake Point. Like, we just wanted to add one more. Now, the, the, the way that Ben Davis got a hold of, of, of my heart and in the launching of Lake Point Church, it was never to pay back a church like Reverend Glenn. It was always to pay it forward so that the next church and the next church would get started. It's, it's your vision and your generosity and who you are as a church that, that, that's made this family tree that's going to keep spreading all over the greater Milwaukee area. That, that's on you guys. I, I blame you all the time. Let's get into the message for today. And it is the start of a new series here uh, that's, that's going to go through the month of August. We're calling it Stories That Change Everything. Uh, we all know that nothing gets a hold of our hearts like a, like a good story. We love it. It, it, it. We emotionally resonate with it. And, and the fact that we can learn from something, learn something from a good story as well. But Jesus, the master storyteller he is, he, he keeps leaning to this story form called a parable, which is even more than just something for the heart or the head. There's a nugget of wisdom there that if you dig on it deep enough, it, it will in fact change everything you know about him and how to follow him. And so I got the privilege of kicking it off with a parable that's called the parable of the sower 
and the seeds. Now, seeds is one of Jesus' classic imageries, the word picture he goes back to more than any other to describe what his kingdom is going to be like. And I want you to just think for a moment, if you were a king or a queen, and you had a kingdom to call your own, and you had the ability to cast a picture of what you wanted it to be like, and you had the power to follow through and actually make it like that picture, what picture would you want to give? What would be your first choice? Uh, for me, I'd say something like the kingdom of Brian, it's going to be like a castle. We just want these really huge stones laid, and it's going to be impenetrable, and it's going to stand the test of time, and people are going to remember this for centuries. Or, or, or the kingdom of Brian's like an earthquake. You can just like feel the power shaking when, when, when that guy is around. Or the kingdom of Brian, it's, it's like a really good sunset. Strikingly good looking. Can't get your eyes off of it. You know, I don't know. You, you get to have fun with it, right? You're the king. You're the queen. You get to picture whatever you want your kingdom to be. How many of us would choose seeds? And yet Jesus does. Yes, Jesus does and says... Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, nothing new grows in its place. Or with faith the size of a mustard seed, you can, you can move a whole mountain. Or when a good seed lands in really good soil, it's going to multiply 30, 60, 100 fold of what went in in the first place. You've heard some of these stories before. You're definitely going to hear some of them again in, in the month of August as this series un, unfolds. And every time you hear Jesus say it, you're supposed to think to yourself, this is odd. This is really odd and awkward that instead of something ominous and impenetrable, our God describes his kingdom as something small, something spreadable, something growable, but something that needs to be planted for it to do that great work. And today I'm going to go with what I personally feel is the oddest of all the odd stories that he talks about relating his kingdom to seeds. It's found in my, my, excuse me, Mark chapter 4, verse 26. It reads like this. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And this one really reads like a true parable to me. Something that you really have to dig on before you're going to understand it. Uh, some, something that's going to rub against the way we would naturally understand things to play out. Something that will first challenge your mind, but the more and more you let it challenge your mind, the more it's going to challenge your whole life in Jesus out of it. This is a story that can change everything for us if we get into what Jesus really has here. So well, let's pray again. Jesus, I pray that you meet us right where we're at right now. That, that there's something that we want to get out of it and, and, and yet you buried it deep enough in the story that, that we got some digging to do. It's whatever needs to happen with our ears and our hearts and our minds today to pull that back out. Put us in that space with you. That's our desire. Amen. 
if we go back uh, about six years ago now, um, it, it, was, it was a time in my life where I, I burned out. I just can't think of any better word for it than calling it burnout. It was a time where my stressors just kind of kept going higher and higher, higher than, than, than my own height, and my coping solutions kind of tapped out down here. That's not a good discrepancy to be in. Uh, meanwhile, there are certain burdens that I'm carrying way too long, some professionally as a pastor, some personally, just the, the things that weigh on my, on, on, on my own heart. Um, I was taking some punches, and some of them felt like they were hitting me square in the nose. I was experiencing loneliness, like I didn't know who could or would be there for me in the middle of it all, which tells me, you know, depression's going to be right on the tail end of of, of that, and mixing that, a little sense of betrayal here or there, and that always, like, spices up the, the recipe. It's all really an awfully sad, sad story. Uh, it will cost you half a day of your life and a box of tissues to get through it, and I'm not going to take you through it all. I just kind of want to fast forward to this point. It, my burnout got me to a spot where I could no longer feel God or hear God for myself, and that's what made it scary because I hadn't been there before. At least not that I could remember it. I, I, I had a walk with Jesus. I was walking with him for a good long while and, 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 and a close while as, as well. He, he meant everything to me. And, and so for me to go back and read the Bible like I always had read it, but this time I couldn't hear him say anything, or, or to go back to my prayers like I had anchored myself in prayer before, but this time it feels like those prayers are just vaporizing and, and nothing's happening, or to go back to my church family, my small group even, and try to tell them what was going on, but I couldn't explain it in a way where anyone could really join me and be there for me, and I also got a little distrust of who's going to be the next person that hurts me. It was scary to not be able to receive the things of God in my life the way I had known them before. And it, uh, it put me in a spot of, of waiting. Qu quite frankly, because that's, that's all I could do, is just wait. Of, of what would God do next? And how would it show up? And what would the experience be? And would he revive the old ways or create the new ways? And what I found that in my moments of waiting, it turned out to be exactly where God wanted me because it's exactly where God met me. And it started to shape in me the years that followed. It began something of practicing uh, a way of connecting with God that I hadn't known before, all under this heading of waiting, where sometimes waiting would just be a simple two-minute, like, catch your breath again. Remember to deep, breathe deeply a couple times in your day, but this time breathe deeply with, with Jesus, knowing He was present. Or sometimes waiting took the form more like a 20 minutes, like at the end of the day, tuck the kids in bed, sat down in the fireplace, and just tried to like unload every thought and every feeling I had and set them down one by one next to me in the fireplace before I could finally say, God, I think I'm open enough to take in whatever you would give me in a quiet moment with you. And then I had some versions that were more like two hours, and those, those were like the ugly times where I'd set down a chair and said, Jesus, I'm sitting down here, and I'm not getting up till, till something comes from you. It doesn't have to be every answer on the subject, but I'm going to hold this question until you give something, because I can't afford another day without it. It didn't actually matter whether it was the two minutes, 20, or 120. That's not the whole point of it all. The point was, it was a reflection of my soul. 
I, I, I couldn't reach out and take the things of God for myself anymore. All I could do was wait. And I learned these spiritual practices to, to present that back to Him and then find that He actually met me there. And, and a shift happened where instead of those moments being the scariest times in my life, they now became the most exciting. And I started pursuing them without situations that forced me back to, to go there. So it's like, I don't know if you remember like discovering how to grow with Jesus for the, for the very first time in a new way. For, for a lot of us, it was reading the Bible for the first time. Like, like think back to the first time you opened up the Bible and started reading some things about Jesus there and you realized, shoot, Jesus speaks English. I, I had no clue, right? And I can actually learn and actually understand something from God. A lot of us just didn't know that. And, and, and so then why not turn to the next page and the next page and the next page? You can't find yourself getting enough of the Bible because you're growing in Him. And if you haven't tried that before, try it. I promise you. You can, you can actually understand for yourself what's written there. Or, or prayer. Like, can you remember the first time you really got an answer to a real prayer that you made? And then some light bulb goes on. I'm pretty sure I'm going to do this before everything that I do now. Because i got a God who listens and shows up. That's what it was like for me with waiting on Jesus. Experiencing for, all, for the first time that this is a whole way that I can learn Him and grow Him and experience in Him. And I couldn't get enough of it. Just waiting. I actually went on to learn that, formally speaking, the, the, the title for this is not waiting, it's silence and solitude. That's the words that our, our church history and our church fathers and leaders of monasteries have been l- using for centuries. I wasn't learning anything new, it was just new to me. I was dusting off something old. Silence and solitude, practicing some real quiet in your quiet times. Instead of you're always praying something or you're always reading something, of just quiet open space that God can fill it in whatever way He wants to. A lot of times, because that's what it means to let the things of God soak in. I would relate it to a marinade. A, a good marinade that add a new flavor to the entree of what prayer and Bible reading had always been. You know what marinades do, right? They're, they're not your dinner. They're, they're not the main course. They just add new flavors to the same old meals that are kind of getting tired out. And it, it's, like, it's like my boys. I, I, I do a fair amount of the cooking in the house, and these spoiled, ungrateful punks started complaining about my chicken. All right, Dad's baking chicken breast again tonight. And it uh, just... Tastes the same every time, and come to think of it, everything tastes like chicken. And so they're like, chicken, chicken, complaining. Finally, I took their same chicken, and the night before, put it in a teriyaki marinade, served it to them the next day, and what are these amazing tastes that are going on in my mouth right now? It's, it's just chicken, but the flavor's different. It's new all over again. And then I went over into, especially this time of year, I love marinating in lemon pepper. There's something about the citrus flavors paired with summer. You just can't get enough of this. And then I started doing this world tour where, where we're doing Italian marinades and Mediterranean marinades and masala and, 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 and Montreal. Have you guys, have, have you discovered Montreal seasoning marinades? Please raise your hand if you have. Okay, that's not enough for you. The, the French Canadians. Who, who knew they made such amazing things? It's like my new brand new favorite. New flavors. It's like you're tasting food all over again for the very first time. Even though it's just chicken or salmon or whatever it is. 
And so, what, what waiting on Jesus in truly moments of silence and solitude became was, was like a marinade for me in the good old classics like prayer and Bible readings, and the flavors were, were exploding. Take that over again, back to Mark chapter 4, because that's really what we're teaching on today, and, and put that lens on, on, on the scriptures that go through it a second time. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. And what you're supposed to be picturing in this moment is not really tight, neat cornrows. There's no machinery going on. You're supposed to picture a guy with a pouch of seeds on his hip just reaching in with fistfuls and throwing some in that direction and side-arming some to the left. And he's, he's tossing seeds forward and backward in every direction. It's just the picture of how the things of Jesus are sown. Wherever you're going in your everyday life and everyday relationships, there are things of Jesus that get planted there, so you do it. Meanwhile, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. The, 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 the sower doesn't understand how this works. He just goes on with his day, doesn't go on with another second thought, doesn't need a botany class to understand how seeds do it. He just seeds, so throws seeds, and moves on. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. The Greek word being used here is automate. Automate, which sounds a lot like automatic. And, and it is. That's where we're getting this word from. I'm pretty sure the fellow can tell you. Uh, I think that sunny days and rainy days have a lot to do with setting the conditions on which a seed is going to grow well. But at the end of the day, this fella doesn't have a hot clue on why a seed buried in the ground decides to open up one day and how it knows to send the roots down but the sprout up and eventually grow a harvest right there in front of him. He can't explain a single thing about it. But he can tell you the steps as they're happening in front of him. There's an order to it. It's first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel, then here comes the harvest. There will be an order to the things of Jesus as they grow in your life. Even though you really don't have a great handle on explaining what's really going on beneath the surface. And finally, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it. Because the harvest has come. And the harvest as we're talking about here is a lot different than you going out to the, the garden in your backyard to get a slice of tomato for your sandwich this afternoon. We're talking about the kind of harvest that, that, that you bring in for yourself and your family and maybe even others to live on for a whole year. There's that kind of nourishment that takes place when a real season of growth has taken place with the things of Jesus in your life and in your world and in the people around you. And that's the story that Jesus wanted people like you and I to hold on to. People like you and I who want to look for the application in the message, who want to know what are we supposed to do, who want to reduce it to, all right, Jesus, like just tell me exactly what do you want me to do and I'll get out there and do it. The only two things he gives us in a story like this is so and wait. So and wait. Those are the only two things that you are supposed to do. And frankly, there's a whole lot more waiting than there is sowing. Because waiting is enough. Waiting is what the parable is about. Waiting is the thought-provoking nugget of wisdom that Jesus wants you to dig on till you discover the fullness of what that means inside of, of your life. That night and day, the sower gets to sleep. You get a good night's sleep. 
You don't get to, you don't have to put a second thought into it. You don't have to apply another layer of effort. You don't have to go through this thing called worry or, or control issues or whatever it is that you try to apply the second round to that which is already sown. There is no second round. When you planted the things of Jesus as they can be, then you go into waiting. That's a very important spiritual practice to grow in our life. Because what waiting really becomes, it's, it becomes like a marinade. You're just letting it set and seep in the things of Jesus, appreciating sometimes there is not another Bible lesson for you to learn. There's not another prayer besides what you've already offered. There's not another thing to do that you have not already done. You are in a state of waiting and need to form practices around it. Because the presence of God is waiting for you simply in doing just that. And that's a lot more flavor than going back to the usual things. I'm, I'm going to try to give you a, a, a story or a couple examples that, that can help this come to life for you. And if I got time, I, maybe I'll answer the big question that it's brewing with this. I didn't for first service. I think I got time this time. We'll see. All right, here we go. Um, very recently, I, I ran into a, a, a situation that I, I needed the forgiveness of Jesus to show up uh, inside of me, inside of another person, and especially between the two of us. I was confronted with a very lengthy list of things that were wrong about me, and the, the other person was right, 90% right, right? but who, who's counting, right? I'm not going to own the whole thing, but uh, the, he was definitely a m majority of right. And so what, what I did after this confrontation where someone blasts me with everything that's wrong about me, I, I, I took a good week in, 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 in a deep level of thought and continuous mental effort. And let's even, let's even call it a, a meditation. Just how wrong his 10% of the problem was. All right, that, that's where I spent my whole time, is just replaying his 10%, not thinking about my, my 90. Like, why, why do we do that anyway? Th isn't that what we do? I'm pretty sure I know why we do it, because we, we don't know how to identify ourselves as the problem or the perpetrator in a situation. The thought that there are victims around us based on our sins and our wrong and our brokenness and our baggage, like, we just don't know how to... Shoot, that's, that's a hard weight to crawl under voluntarily and accept that. And so what we like doing is replaying the other person's 10% enough time so it starts feeling bigger than 10%. Now it's up to 20, now it's up to 30, and now, now they're the perpetrator and I'm the victim. Can you believe what he said to me? So I, I played that game for a week. <laughs> it just wasn't good and it wasn't right and frankly, it's just exhausting. And I, I finally backed up and said, okay, Jesus, let's, I want to come at this another way. I, I want to wait on you in the forgiveness that's needed here. Forgiveness in my own heart for the 90%, forgiveness in, in his heart for the 10%, for, forgiveness just in the space that there is between us. And frankly, I don't know how to go get that forgiveness. I don't know what to do to make it happen. And, and so I sowed the seed as best I knew how. I recall this simple lesson that the scriptures teach me. Forgiveness is already paid for in Jesus. There, there's nothing new that needs to be done here. Jesus does not need to go to the cross a second time for his sins or for mine. It's already there, and I believe it. So I sowed that seed of believing in the scriptures, and then I sowed the second seed of I, I want to forgive, even though I don't know how. 
and therefore all I'm going to do is wait. Sometimes two minutes by catching your breath to remember the presence of Jesus and your ugly ruminations for the day. Sometimes like 20 minutes of Jesus, I've got to really set down the shame that I'm feeling over knowing I'm wrong here. And that takes a lot of effort to, to acknowledge that and create open space. Sometimes I went back to the two-hour version of I just need to hear you. I can't walk away until I know you've inserted yourself somewhere into my life and somewhere into this situation. And, and as I waited there, what was happening in me, I could, I could feel it. It's, it's, like, it's like I was dying. Okay, not literally, but it was also bigger than being figuratively. And it wasn't me that was dying. It was the death of Jesus showing up and meeting where I was at, where I could feel my wrongs and my sins, just like Jesus carried that through his death, and I could feel the pain of my own sins dying, but it was on his burden and not mine, and I could feel peace and freedom just kind of like lifting up through it. Meanwhile, the 10% of the other guy's problem, which is still out there, I don't have to sweep that under the rug. I, I, I could feel Jesus dying to that and me dying with him where I could let a, 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 a moment of someone else's burden. I, I'm good with dying with it too because I'm secure enough in the love I'm receiving of Jesus that I could even have someone else's burden and, and die with that. And by the time I went back to the guy, what, it, it was different. It was more than another lesson on the Bible of what forgiveness is. It was more than just a prayer of Jesus, help me forgive. It was a marinade. The flavor of Jesus was all over my life. Forgiveness was just kind of soaked into my soul and who I was. And so by the time I started using words, no her speeches, a genuine apology was given. A genuine forward of here is my commitment to keep loving you better than I was before. And, and I didn't have to do this passive-aggressive thing of, yeah, I'm a terrible person, you're right, you figured it out, and, and yeah, but, but, yeah, but you did this over here. Like, none of that came out. And, and amazingly, what, what made it so great wasn't that the right words happened in that moment. It wasn't like this was a therapy session that I, this is what I need to say to feel freedom for myself, but I could see that Jesus was soaking him in the same forgiveness that he was giving me. And I got a story of reconciliation. And quite embarrassingly, let me tell you, as a 43-year-old grown man who has tried following Jesus so long, I don't have many reconciliation stories. Usually people just part companies. But I got my story in these past few months. And it felt different because the seed was sown and I waited for it to grow because I, I dropped the same old classic lessons of forgiveness in a strained relationship into, a, into the marinade of God's presence. And it was different. The flavor was different. Is this making any sense? Or is this kind of like abstract and this, this guy's talking from left field right now? I'm like looking at you and I don't got a reader right now. And that's difficult to <laughs> know what to do with. I, I could give you more stories. I don't got a ton of time, but I, I do know this works with, with the righteousness of God. You are working so hard all the time on getting it right. You think there's more things you need to do for your kids to get it right, more things you need to do for your aging parents to get it right, more things you need to do in the workplace to achieve this thing called success, and you also think there's more things you need to do for Jesus before he's going to really be proud of you. Whereas if you would just wait and the fact of the righteousness of Jesus is already there, you are seen as fully right in the eyes of a father 
by what Christ has done, he got everything right that you needed to get right. And whatever actually needs to play out in your day, it's probably not the list of a hundred things that you're trying to do. It's more like more like one or two he's going to give you that you get to walk out with, with him. Places of hurt and healing. Humpty Dumpty didn't put himself back together again, and neither did anyone else, and neither are going to you. Can we believe in the power of what Jesus has done with his life and his death and resurrection that it can mend anything that's broken about you? But you've got to wait on that. Or even things like doubt. A lot of times we take the moments in which we would honestly say, Jesus, I don't think you are real this time. We use those to pull away. What if you used your deepest moments of doubt to wait on him? Doubt is really just a really, really deep question that you don't have an answer to. And what if you just waited for him to give you the deepest answer you've ever gotten? You see, so much more could come from waiting. Yes, yes, inside of Jesus, there's plenty of things to do. And that's the question that everyone has here, right? you're, You're thinking in your mind right now, doesn't God have stuff for us to do? Aren't we created in Christ Jesus in advance with good works to do? Yeah, that's Ephesians 2.10. Uh, aren't we supposed to not get weary of doing good because we'll have a harvest in the proper time? Yeah, that's Galatians 6, 9. And, and aren't we supposed to show our faith by that which we do? That's all over the book of James. Can we not love God without loving our brother as ourselves? That's First John. Yes, yes, there are things to be done. That's the sowing part. But not at the expense of all the times that Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you do nothing. John 15 or... Be still and know that I'm God, Psalm 46. Or I'm the good shepherd, I'll make you lie down in a green pasture, that's Psalm 23. Or you get to be the bird of the air and the wild flowers in the field who get their food and get their clothing, even though they don't know how. It's Luke 12. Most importantly, Matthew 11, 28. He said, the yoke is easy, the burden is light. And you'll find rest for your soul. You do got a burden to carry. And you do got a distance you got to walk it out with. But the picture Jesus gave you is that it's going to feel like rest for your soul and the burden is going to feel light when we wait it out with him. All those scriptures, all that's pointing to, that, that's what the parable of the sower and the seed is about, is knowing the moments at which you have gotten to everything that can be done and to say, Jesus, I'm pretty sure anything that I was going to pray, I've already prayed. And anything that is you want to teach me from your scripture, I've, I've at least heard it. And, and because I'm there, Jesus, I'm going to call this a seed that's been sown. And now the practice that I most need to lean into is waiting on you. I told you my version is two minutes, 20 minutes, and 120 minutes. You come up with your own version. But what is it is you need to practice till your soul says, I'm truly in a state of waiting on him. What happens next is whatever his seed grows in me, in the next person, in the space between us, or in my world. This is why the story changes everything. Because so many of us fire back that second round of effort. We think our prayers need to be bolder. We think there's more from the Bible that needs to be learned. When so often he's trying to tell us what needs to happen right now is waiting. And if you want to go a little deeper into this practice, uh, there's a couple authors and books that I'm going to recommend and put on the screen. 
uh, just beautiful people on any subject, but I trust them especially on this. So if you really want to go further personally, that's a resource for you. And uh, secondly, what we're going to offer also offer to you on your way out this morning uh, is a little marinade packet. Uh, we got one for, uh, for, for every family uh, that, that's, that's here with us today. And I, I hope the analogy is just waiting for you there. Uh, at some point today, uh, this week, uh, pull out one of those, those, those tired old meals that you, you go to. Uh, tilapia, chicken, uh, that's a sore issue in my family. And, and put the marinade on it. And if you choose to put the marinade on that entree while it hits the frying pan, it will not work. Not the way it's supposed to. You got to put the marinade on the day before, two days before, and then you just wait. And then you taste the flavors. And then turn that into a prayer of God. Jesus, this is what I want to be more like with you. Help me learn to marinate the things you have with me so that your flavors come forward to tired old recipes. I want this kind of flavor between you and me. Let's pray for that right now. God, that is what we're asking. (laughs) That's what you're pointing us towards. Is a fuller flavor in this thing you call gospel. The sum total of all that your son is, what he has given, what he has lived, what he carried with him into the grave. And when he came out with the the keys of death and Hades in his hand, he pronounced the victory into our lives. And we don't want to just hold it with the same old lessons and prayers. We want to show up with fresh flavors all over again and all over again and all over again. And so whatever needs to shift in our heart as a practice of waiting on you so that the full flavor of Jesus is tasted in our everyday lives and everyday relationships. That's what we're asking. That's what you're promising. So put these two things together for us, we pray. Amen.